Today we're doing a standalone sermon, it's not part of a series, and the question is, are we living in the last days? Uh, that question comes up for anybody who's paying attention to the news. I mean, you see all the stuff that's happening with Israel and the Middle East, rise of radical Islam, the prospect of a nuclear Iran, increase in persecution of the church, secularization of our own nation, decline of our morals, growing tension between the government and the church, deflated footballs. These are all signs of the end times. And all of this is exactly what the Bible has predicted would happen. But the Bible has a lot to say prophetically. One out of every 30 verses uh, in the Bible talks about the end times. Uh, in 216 chapters in the New Testament, there are 300 references to the end times. 23 out of 27 New Testament books talk about the end times. book of Revelation, whole things about the end times. So the Bible has a lot to say about the end of the world. The question today is, what do we do with that information? Reverend Smith and Reverend Jones pastored two churches across the street from one another. One day, Reverend Smith was putting a sign in the churchyard. The sign said, turn around before it's too late. And across the street, Reverend Jones was putting a sign in his churchyard that said, the end is near. And as they're putting in the sign, suddenly a car full of hooligans comes careening down the street. They see the pastors out in the yard, read the signs, yell out the windows, you fanatics, you religious freaks. The car goes on around the curve, and there's a squeal of brakes and a loud splash. Reverend Jones looks across at Reverend Smith and says, maybe we just should have said bridge out. On your notes, first verse describes a time when the disciples asked Jesus the question, are we living in the last days? Let's see what he told them. Disciples came to him privately, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The disciples want to know when, and they want to know what. When will it happen? What will be the sign? And it's interesting, this, uh, they asked this question in Matthew 24, because Matthew 24, the whole chapter, is Jesus' take on the second coming. But in that whole chapter, Jesus never answers the when question. He just describes what it will look like when it happens. And so the question, are we living in the last days? Well, I've got to tell you, it looks to me like we are. And I say that with this disclaimer. Every generation has thought that. I mean, several of the Bible's authors thought that Jesus was going to come back soon. And so we're not the first ones to think this. But there are some things that are unique to our generation that make me think that, that we could be the generation that sees it happen. And one of those things is Jesus' statement in Matthew 24, 14. It says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Circle that phrase, to all nations. And then the end will come. And the word nations in that verse is the word ethnos. It's not referring to nations with boundaries like a country. It's referring to ethnicity. It's referring to people groups. And right now, the UN says there are 192 countries in the world. Those 192 countries hold thousands of people groups. Uh, for instance, the, the country of India, one country, thousands of people groups. And in the 2,000 years since Christ issued the Great Commission to go reach all the ethnos, 
we have reached about half of the people groups in the world. But we failed in 2,000 years to reach the other half. Now, the exciting thing for me is, is that for the first time in the history of the world, we have a real opportunity to reach the other half. Digital technology, modern travel have made it possible for us to identify and locate these people groups and to engage these groups with the gospel for the very first time. And that's exactly what Rockbrook has been involved in in, in the last seven years with our efforts in North India. Uh, there are over 500 unreached people groups in the state of Uttar Pradesh, the state where we're working. In. And that's, that's like one-sixth of all the unreached people groups are right there in that one geographic area, half again as big as the state of Missouri. And we have an opportunity there. I mean, the, the gospel is advancing there, and we get to play a part in that. And Jesus says, if we reach all the nations with the gospel, then the end will come. Our generation can very well be the generation that could do it. In fact, it's within our grasp. God help us if we don't. And that's why I'm committed to these India trips. That's why I encourage you to give to our India Pastors Project. You can give in the little display thing in the back or online or just anything you can do to help that. We can reach all the nations for Christ. So the question, are we living in the last days? We're going to spend some time in First and Second Peter today. I've got a lot of verses for you on your notes. Let's look at Second Peter 3. It says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Scoffers will say, I'm not going to do what the Bible says to do. I'm going to follow my own plan, my own lifestyle. Forget God. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Scoffers will say, you know, a few Christians have been looking for Jesus to come for 2,000 years. It hasn't happened yet. This is a myth. You're crazy. That scoffing in itself is a sign of the last days. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Genesis chapter 1 describes the creation of the world, talks about the, water, the role that water played in that, how God picked a day, spoke the heavens and earth into existence. And then by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That's the Noah flood. In Noah's day, the mankind became so evil that God decided to weed them out. And he picked out Noah and his family as righteous. He saved them in the ark along with the animals, and God wiped out everybody else. By the same word, you know, God's going to pick another day. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. God promised after Noah he wouldn't use water in judgment anymore. That's the whole rainbow thing. The next one's going to be, be with fire. Being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. That's the next judgment. That's the one that we're looking for. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, Peter could have been saying right there, he could just maybe say, hey, hey, slow down. You're looking for this to happen to God. A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. God doesn't think about time like we do, so just don't be in a big hurry. But some scholars don't see it that way. They believe this verse actually talks about a seven-day earth, an earth that lasts for 7,000 years. And they count 4,000 years from Adam to Christ, 2,000 years from Christ to the present. 
And you might hear that and think, well, yippee, that means we've got another thousand years before Jesus is going to come back. But that thousand years happens in the millennium after Christ's return, which would put us right in the pocket of Christ's return. The end may be closer than you think. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, I, in my mind, I, I just imagine it like this. You've got God and, and, and Christ sitting on their thrones in heaven, and God looks down and sees all the junk that's going on and says, okay, I've had enough. It's time. Get on your horse, son, and go get them. And Jesus leaps up from his throne. He goes over to his white horse, and Jesus is ready because when he comes back, he's coming for his bride, the church. He's the bridegroom. He's ready for the wedding. And so just as Jesus is, is about saddled up uh, on his mount, God says, wait, 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 wait just a minute. I, I see some more that I think we can reach. And I just love that about our God, that, that he is just patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He, he, he is continuing to extend his grace. Peter goes on, and, and if you're dead set on knowing the day and time, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. You're just not. It's going to be totally unexpected. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. What can we learn from these verses? On your notes, first, jot this down. People will be distracted with life. The reason why this is going to catch people like a thief in the night is because they have gotten distracted with life. They started following their own appetites, their own desires. They decided God doesn't really matter. I'm just going to follow my own plan for my life. And you may say, oh, well, that's not me. But I tell you, a great question to ask is, is how much of this world am I focused on and how much of eternity am I focused on? Because if you really want to know, are we living in the last days, the answer is, you're living in your last days. You know, is the end near? Yours is. You know, regardless of when Jesus comes back, we're all running out of time. And so we have to be sure that we make the most of this brief window of opportunity that we have in our life. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 24. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, life just went on as normal. People were eating and drinking. They were getting married. You know, they were just living life. Up till the day Noah entered the ark. You know, they're in a boat. Well, what's a boat? Why do you need a boat? Rain? What's rain? Noah, you're crazy. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. They were distracted. They were distracted by the world and taken by surprise. And Jesus says, that's the way it's going to be next time. People get distracted. Next, people will forget God. There will be a generation who will reject God. Well, how does that play out for us right now? Well, first, some good news. Right now, the gospel is growing like a wildfire in parts of the world. For instance, in China right now, every day, 35,000 new believers are coming to Christ every day. 35,000 new believers are coming to faith in Christ in an underground, persecuted church. If that keeps up, 
by 2035, China will have the largest Christian population of any country on the, on the planet. I mean, that's just amazing. Now, in America, it's a different story. And, and here's some statistics that should wake us up. And, and these are the statistics for America. For Europe, it's even worse. The builder generation, those who were born from 1927 to 1945, 65% Bible-based believers in that generation. They love God. They live their life according to the Scriptures. Boomer generation, 1946 to 1964, 35% Bible-based believers. And these are the men and women that are leading our country right now. These are the president, the Congress, the CEOs, the people that are running things. 35% Bible-based believers. Buster generation, 1965 to 1983, 16% Bible-based believers. It gets worse. Bridger generation, 1984 to the present, 4% Bible-based believers. I mean, it's obvious we are not doing a good job of passing our faith from one generation to the next, from parents to children. In fact, it's going down exponentially. And if America looks the way it looks now with 35% Bible-based believers leading it. What's it going to look like with 4% Bible-based believers leading it? We're headed into a whole different world. People are, are, we have a generation that is rejecting God. And Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And you, you just see it. Because of the wickedness in our culture, the internet, the TV, the movies, the books, the art, the, the growth of perversion, the ungodliness in our culture, in our schools, in our government, even in our homes. You know, wickedness makes the love of most grow cold. The love for God, the love of God, really the love of everything is going to grow cold. And, and you just see it. There is a cold, hard-hearted, heartlessness sweeping across this next generation. They're going to reject God. Next thing we learn is people will not be ready. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. One's ready, one's not. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Are we living in the last days? You're living in yours. So you need to be awake. You need to keep watch. Pay attention. Make every day count. Don't let your love grow cold. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now you may say, oh, pastor, man, let's break open the book of Revelation. Let's make some charts of bowls and trumpets and seals and plagues. And, and let's get some arrows going up and some arrows coming down. And, and let's just figure out all this end time stuff. And to which I say, help yourself. But do it in pencil. <laughs> Jesus said, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus says he doesn't know the day nor hour. So evidently, you don't need to know the day nor hour either. Truth is, you don't need to know what the time is. You need to know what to do with the time you have left. The Bible doesn't tell us whether we're in the last days. It doesn't tell us when this stuff is going to happen, but it has a whole lot to say about what your life should look like in your last days. So what is it? On your notes, number one, I should think clearly. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. You know, prayer brings your mind into 
a new reality, a reality that's real. You know what's happening here on earth? This isn't the only reality. It's not even the real reality. And these reality shows, you know, you start living in just the natural world, you start thinking that what's happening here is all that matters. But no, there's a whole other realm of things that are happening that's more real than this one. And when you begin to pray, you begin to move into that spiritual realm. You begin to realize that the, the things you'd otherwise miss, you begin to realize, man, this life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. I'm here just a brief time. I need to be thinking clearly about eternity. Now, Kelly, is that a real issue? 62% of Americans say they believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. 62% of Americans believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Only 8% are really living for him. See the disconnect? 62% say, I believe Jesus is coming back, but it doesn't matter. Jesus is coming back, so what? I mean, that's not thinking clear. That doesn't even make sense. Paul says it this way in Philippians. He says, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. Paul is grieved about this that there are many whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, there are those who claim to be Christians, but their conduct shows they don't believe this stuff. They're not living for it. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. And Paul is crying for these people who've fallen for this false reality. What's the real reality? But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we, the church, are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies. We live in these weak, mortal bodies on this weak, mortal earth. We live in bodies that need glasses and cough syrup and some way to get across this crazy bridge on 58 because they keep shutting all the lanes down. But that's going to change because Christ is going to take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. You know what that means? It means you need to wear this life like a loose garment. You know, don't let meanness and bitterness and bills and things get attached to you. Just wear this stuff loosely. You're not a citizen of earth. You're a citizen of heaven. Keep your eyes on eternity. Think clearly about what really matters. Number two, these are the last days I should focus on relationships. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I mean, without grumbling. You got people under your skin, you need to get people out of your skin. And beyond that, you need to begin to bless people. Why focus on people? Because people are the only thing you're going to see in heaven. The only thing that gets out of here is people. Everything else is going to burn up. Everything else. The only thing that gets out of here alive is people. And so you need to be focusing on people. And that's why we're a small group church. That's why you need to go through our small group catalog and pick out one of the 40-some small groups that we've got and get plugged in. And we've got a number of groups. We've got groups that will help you get healthy, the Daniel plan. We've got groups that will help you get your... Finances in order, financial peace. We've got groups that will help you heal, like life's healing choices, and groups that will help you find your purpose, like what on earth am I here for? I mean, we've got any number of, of issues and interests that you can find a group. 
But beyond the topic that the group is studying is the relationship that happens in the group. Because none of this stuff is going to make it out of here. You know, it, not your body, you're going to get a new one in heaven. Not your money, it's going to burn up. Not even your marriage. Jesus says we're not married in heaven. The only thing that makes it out of here is the church, the body of Christ. Now, all this other stuff makes living here more pleasant, but it's not the final reality that God has prepared you for. The final reality God has prepared for you is the relationship within the church. And so you need to keep praying so you can think clearly and be self-controlled, and you need to get your relationships healthy. You need to make Christ-centered relationships that will last. Number three, if we're living in the last days, I should make a difference. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. God has grace. He wants people to have it. Your spiritual gift is God's vehicle to deliver that grace to other people. For instance, if you love kids, if you're gifted to work with kids, you've got the spiritual gift of teaching, you, know, you need to get involved with Rockbrook for Kids. You've got to worship one service, work one service, so that the parents can come in here and sit and hear God's Word without being distracted, and so the kids can hear the presentation of God's Word in a way that communicates to them, so we can reach more than 4% of the next generation. You know, you have the gift of serving, the gift of helping. You've got to join the setup crew. And just come in here with a team and help stack all these chairs, sweep the floor, mop the floor, put the chairs back, wipe them all down, so people have a clean, pleasant environment to worship in. You know, whatever your spiritual gift is, you need to discover it, you need to develop it, and you need to deploy it. And our growth track that we're launching on February 1st will help you do just that. Whatever your spiritual gift is, you need to use it to make a difference. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. If these are the end times, I need to be making a difference. And it's amazing. You can make a tremendous difference because we live in the greatest generation since the history of the world. We really do. As far as the advance of the gospel, we live in the greatest generation. The harvest is greater now than it has ever been. I mean, listen to this. It's amazing. More people have come to faith in Jesus Christ from 2000 to 2015. More people have come to faith in, in that 15-year period than in the previous 2,000 years combined. I mean, there is an explosion in response uh, to the gospel. We see it even in the area of Islam. Islam was founded in 700 A.D. In the 1,300 years of Islam, there has, uh, from its founding to the year 2000, there has been almost zero movement toward Christianity, toward Christ. Last 12 years, 7 million Muslims have come to Christ every year. 7 million Muslims every year for 12 years. Over 84 million Muslims. I mean, God is moving in our generation like we've never seen him move before. North India, just since we started working there in 2008, in just our, our little state there, there have been 700,000 Hindus who've come to faith in Christ. We've helped plant over 15,000 churches, trained 9,000 pastors there. We are living in the greatest generation ever. So what do we do? We give all we can, we go all we can, we serve all we can, because we've only got a little bit of time left. 
Oh, Kelly, that just wears me out thinking about it. No, 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 no. Slide into heaven with your tongue hanging out. You know, spend it all, do it all, serve it all. Then let the Lord say, enter into your rest. But until then, give it all you've got. You know, one of the dangers is you can think you have more time left than you do. Another danger is to give up because you think the time is short. But Jesus said, occupy until he comes. Persevere all the harder the more you see the day approaching. Don't get distracted by what you see here. Don't let your appetite, your desires control your life. Keep your eyes focused clearly on eternity. Get your relationships right. Find out your spiritual gift and use it to serve. Get plugged into the the church. Get plugged into this local church. We'll help you make a difference around the world. And you can do that through our new growth track. Our classes will help you find your gift. Get plugged in. Number four. Are these the last days? Well, if so, I should seek God's grace. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're not just looking forward to to heaven. We're not just going to sit on a cloud in heaven. There's a new earth where we get to live and work and play. Some of these verses aren't on your outline. They're on the screen. I just didn't have room. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. I mean, if we are living in the last days, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. God's patience is good for you. It's good for your family. It's good for the people you know that don't know Christ. Thank God he was patient enough to wait for me. So I'll be patient while he waits for others. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You just need to know that in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this spiritual blindness and cold-hearted secularism, in the midst of this lack of love and and unrighteousness, you, you need to know that you can receive God's grace. After you write that down, I, I, I just would like ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just nobody moving around at this time. Just quietly responding to God's word in your heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are we living in the last days? Well, you're certainly living in your last days. And Jesus says that more important than when he's coming back is how you are living until he gets here. And right now, in this moment, God is extending to you his grace. And maybe you realize you've gotten distracted. Maybe you realize that you've forgotten God. Maybe you realize that you're not ready for Christ to come. And right now, God is extending to you his grace. 
so that you can think clearly about eternity, so that you can get your relationships healthy, so that you can make a difference with your life, with the time you have left. God has been patient, waiting for you to repent. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord who will have mercy on him and seek our God who will freely pardon. This is your moment. This is your day. Receive God's grace. So you can think clearly, so you can restore your relationship, so you can make a difference. God, we thank you for the hope we have in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.